hope for Trump. The president's life under a microscope as more of his associates are headed to prison. It's sad that I should take responsibility for his dirty deeds. What new probes might House Democrats launch in January? The incoming chair of the Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, will be here exclusively. Plus, on life support, health insurance for millions of Americans now hanging in the balance after a federal judge strikes down the Affordable Care Act. It's a great ruling for our country. But could Republicans pay the political price? Republican Senator Susan Collins responds next. And 2020 vision. As high-profile Democrats make their final decisions. I'm not afraid of his nasty language. We're getting a brand new look at who's already ahead in Iowa. But should Democrats prioritize experience or bet on a fresh face? I'm more hopeful and optimistic than I, I have ever been. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is under the harsh light of prosecutors. It may not be the most relaxing holiday season for President Trump. After weeks of mounting legal revelations, President Trump's heading into his final work week in Washington this year with nearly every aspect of his professional and personal lives under scrutiny. His businesses, his former associates, his campaign, his inauguration, and his charity. And the president is facing these probes at one of the more unstable moments in his White House, managing unprecedented turnover in his staff and administration as the government is now just days away from a potential shutdown. Perhaps that is why the president was so quick to declare himself the winner on Saturday, cheering a remarkable ruling from a federal judge in Texas who struck down the entire Affordable Care Act or Obamacare and put health insurance for millions of Americans up in the air. For now, Obamacare remains in place pending the appeals process, but the president lost no time declaring himself a victor and calling the decision great. Republican Senator Susan Collins of Maine joins me now. She's a member of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And, of course, she voted not to uh, replace Obamacare in that famous uh, vote, or infamous, depending on your point of view, I suppose. Thanks so much for being here. We appreciate it. So millions of Americans, including everyone covered by Medicaid expansion and many with pre-existing conditions, are going to lose their health insurance if this ruling is upheld. Uh, you voted for the repeal of the individual mandate as part of the tax reform bill last December. That's the basis of this judge's decision. You heard President Trump call this, quote, uh, a great ruling for our country. Do you agree? I don't. First of all, I would point out uh, that this ruling is not going to affect people who are currently enrolled or in Obamacare policies or their policies for 2019. There is widespread support for protecting people with pre-existing conditions. There's also widespread opposition to the individual mandate, and here's why. The individual mandate penalties, 80% were paid by people, 80% of the people who paid the penalty mm -hmm. earned under $50,000 a year. So this hurt low- and middle-income families who couldn't afford the cost of health insurance. And it's telling that when the tax bill was on the floor, not a single Democratic senator offered an amendment to strike the repeal of the individual mandate. That's how unpopular it was. I think this will be overturned on appeal. You do? I do. In the Supreme Court or in the Fifth Circuit or where, where do you think it's? I'm not sure where it will occur, but there's no reason why the individual mandate provision can't be struck down and keep all of the good provisions of the Affordable Care Act 
such as coverage for people with pre-existing conditions, the mandated benefits for substance abuse and mental illness treatment, and also allowing young people to stay on their parents' policies until age 26. All right, let's move on. I want to ask you, the last two weeks have brought some major developments in the Russia investigation and the uh, Southern District of New York uh, investigation. Take a listen to what former Trump fixer Michael Cohen said this week about his two campaign finance felonies. First of all, nothing at the Trump organization was ever done unless it was run through Mr. Trump. He directed me, as I said in my allocution, and I said as well in the plea, he directed me to make the payments. So I understand that's Michael Cohen, and he has a history of saying things that are not necessarily true, but it's not just him making that assertion. The federal prosecutors, the Southern District of New York, stated in their filing that the president uh, directed these illegal payments, and they were done in coordination with him. Does it bother you that the president of the United States is being accused of ordering felony crimes in order to help him win the election? Well, let me point out uh, that there are a lot of unanswered ethical, legal and factual questions. But clearly, this was not a good week for President Trump, nor for his campaign organization. And these allegations are concerning. But we need to wait until we have the entire picture. And that's why it's so critical that the special counsel be allowed to complete his investigation unimpeded so that we can have the full picture. I get that when it comes to the Russia investigation, because we're still waiting to hear the whole picture there. But when it comes to Michael Cohen, we kind of do have the whole picture. The Southern District of New York said that these payments were illegal. They were campaign contributions. And uh, the prosecutors from the U.S. attorney's office there say President they were done in, in direction of and, and uh, coordination with President Trump. I mean, and, and now Michael Cohen is going to jail uh, as a result of that and other crimes. Don't we have the whole picture there? I don't think we do. For one thing, the U.S. attorney's office described Michael Cohen as being deceitful, as being motivated by greed and pointed out that he was not a cooperating witness. On the special counsel side, the special counsel praised him for his cooperation in the Russian investigation. So we have two different pictures of Michael Cohen. And many of the uh, crimes for which he is going to prison have nothing to do with Donald Trump, such as tax evasion. That benefited him. Lying to the Intelligence Committee is another crime for which he was punished. So the picture there is is still murky, in my view. So, there, I mean, there is an audio tape of, of Michael Cohen talking about these payments with President Trump. I'm sure you've heard the audio tape. Do you do you not believe you haven't seen enough evidence to convince you uh, that Donald Trump told Michael Cohen, directed him to make these payments to get Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal to keep their stories quiet? I'm not going to engage in speculation because I don't feel that I have the entire picture yet. I have charges and counter charges. Certainly this is concerning. I don't mean to imply otherwise, but I'm going to wait until I have the full picture. There is, um, I mean, he is going to jail, but it's not just for that charge. But but, 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 but bigger picture, uh, there are ongoing investigations into the Trump administration, the Trump campaign 2016 the Trump transition team, the Trump organization, the Trump foundation. There was one for the Trump for Trump University. And now we found out from The Wall Street Journal this week, the Trump inaugural committee, 
given all those investigations, given the fact that the president surrounded himself with people like Michael Cohen and people like uh, Paul Manafort, do you think that President Trump has respect for the rule of law? I think this reflects the fact that President Trump put together a campaign organization with very little experience, with completely inadequate vetting. And I think that's what happens. This is what happens uh, when you take that kind of approach. I want to move on. Uh, You told uh, reporters this week you felt vindicated uh, by Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's decision uh, to not want to hear a case uh, involving whether Medicaid can be uh, paid to Planned Parenthood affiliates uh, for non-abortion related services. Um, In response to your saying that you thought that it vindicated you for voting for Brett Kavanaugh, Planned Parenthood's political arm tweeted out a link from a liberal website that slammed you as, quote, delusional for thinking that this move uh, means Kavanaugh will support abortion rights, uphold Roe v. Wade in the future. I wanted to give you an opportunity to respond. This is what the point I was trying to make. Planned Parenthood was Brett Kavanaugh's number one opponent. They went after him with everything that they had. And yet, when it came to this case, he was able to put that aside and rule impartially, independently. And it's notable that he was the key vote. It takes only four votes on the court to decide to hear a case like that. And despite the treat, the way he was treated by Planned Parenthood, he ruled not to hear the case that would have stripped them uh, of their, that upheld a, a lower court ruling that uh, said they could participate in the Medicaid program. I was trying to speak to his temperament mm-hmm. and his fairness and his impartiality, which I think he did demonstrate in this case. Uh, last question, Senator. Uh, the race for 2020, as you saw from our, our opening, has already started um, on the Democratic side. Uh, on the Republican side, Ohio uh, Governor John Kasich, uh, who you supported in 2016, uh, has been out publicly considering running against President Trump. Uh, whether it's Kasich or Flake or Sass or anyone else, do you think it would be good for the Republican Party and good for the country for President Trump to face a Republican challenger in 2020? It's always interesting when we we have primaries because a lot of times it allows different viewpoints to surface. It can help influence public policy down the road. And it's healthy for our democracy. So it's up to those individuals to decide whether or not they are going to oppose the president. They would probably have an uphill climb uh, since he is the president and is in office now. But it sounds like you think it would be a good thing for the country and a good thing for the party for the president to face. Well, it's really not my choice. It's the choice of those individuals. But I see nothing wrong uh, with challengers. Uh, That is part of our democratic system. And you're not ready to say that you're endorsing President Trump for 2020. I'm going to talk about 2020 and 2020. Uh, That's a a lifetime in politics. We haven't even sworn in the new Congress yet. And I worry that we're getting into this perpetual campaign mode instead of focusing on governing. That's what I'd like to see us do this next year. Senator Susan Collins, it's always a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Really appreciate it. It's beginning to look a lot like 2020, at least in the all-important state of Iowa. We have some of the first polling in the first caucus state coming up. And 
House Democrats take control in two and a half weeks. I'll ask incoming Oversight Committee Chairman Elijah Cummings what he wants to investigate first. Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. President Trump's Interior Secretary, Ryan Zinke, is stepping down from his post just before House Democrats launched investigations into a variety of ethical complaints against him. And that's just one of many, many probes that Democrats are planning to kickstart in fewer than three weeks. Here with me is the incoming chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Congressman Elijah Cummings, Democrat of Maryland. Congressman, thank you so much for being here. And probably next time I see you, it will be Mr. Chairman. But for now, we'll call you Congressman. That's, that's good enough. I'm honored to be here. All right. So let, let you take the gavel for the House Oversight Committee in January. Uh -huh. You've already mentioned you want to have hearings on prescription drugs. It's a big Big topic of Very importance big. for you. Your job also includes uh, oversight of the White House and the Trump administration. What are two or three subjects for hearings you want to hold in the first six months that are about oversight of the Trump administration and the White House? Well, we want we you know we have uh, control over security clearances that comes under our jurisdiction, and we noticed that there were a lot of problems with security clearances with regard to Mr. Porter, uh, Mr. Flynn, uh, and others, and uh, Kushner. And so we want to take a look at that. But but more importantly, we want to also take a look at this whole effort of voter suppression, because we think a lot of that sort of filters down from the White House. Remember, not too long ago, uh, they created that voter uh, suppression uh, committee. I, that's what I call it. And so we've got oh, the voter voting. fraud committee, that the voter fraud. Yeah. 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 So we've got a, a, a number of things to do, but we're going to take a close look at this administration but more importantly, we're going to be fighting for the American people and the things that they want. So do you know what the first hearing? No, we have not decided that yet. But I can guarantee you uh, that it will likely not be what a lot of people expect. It will probably be something regarding uh, skyrocketing drug prices uh, or possibly the vote, things of that nature that people have to deal with on a day to day basis. And, of course, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, we, we're going to certainly be taking a look at that. And we're going to make sure that it stays enforced. Um, over the last two years, as the ranking Democrat on the committee, uh, you've asked Republicans to issue 64 different subpoenas. Uh, they have declined to yes. do so. Uh, are you going to issue those 64 subpoenas as chairman? No, um, we, we will. We may very well get to that point. But I plan to run our committee like a federal court uh, uh, house courtroom. Um, I want civility. And we will uh, address subpoenas in a very systematic way uh, of those 64. There's so many, Jake, that uh, so many issues that we brought up that would normally be come up uh, whether that whether the uh, president was Republican or Democrat. But there's so many. So we got to have to pull some aside and deal with the ones that are most urgent. Um, for example, uh, we're concerned about the census, which is right around the corner. Right. Uh, and we've got to make sure that we take a look at Wilbur Ross and the question of whether we should have a citizenship question in the census forms. Federal prosecutors from the Southern District of New York have said that then candidate Donald Trump directed his attorney, Michael Cohen, who's now going to prison uh, to make illegal hush money payments involving these two women that alleged affairs with the president. Your fellow uh, Democrat, soon to be chairman, Adam Schiff says that the Justice Department should reconsider those guidelines that exist that say that a sitting president cannot be indicted. Do you agree? Should the DOJ reconsider those guidelines? I think we, we should always reconsider uh, laws and regulations. This is one we definitely should reconsider. But let me say this, too. 
Uh, I'm hoping that Mr. Cohen will come before the Congress where he can tell the, the, the American public exactly uh, what he has been saying to Mueller and others without interfering with the Mueller investigation. I think the American people uh, just voted for transparency and integrity in our hearings. They want to hear from him. And I certainly would like to see him come in the month of January to to uh, before the Congress. And so that the people's representatives will have an opportunity to ask him questions. I, I really you're committing. Yeah, I, he can come in any committee he wants to come to. But I would it would be nice if he came be, before our committee. But the fact is, is that I think this is a watershed moment, uh, Jake. Um, remember uh, John Dean with regard to the Nixon tapes and the testimony that he provided. Um, he changed the course of America. A lot of people said that, you know, he would not uh, call him a liar and everything else. But the fact is, is that he came forward. And I think uh, surely uh, Mr. Cohen should come forward and let us know what he has on his mind. Are you, you think of the watershed moment, moment as him going to prison, including for crimes in, about uh, hush money payments to these women? I think that is also, I think the watershed moment will be him coming. First of all, that, that's already a major problem from him, for him and for the president. But I think the public needs to know exactly what happened. And I think that he can shed that light on it. Uh, you told CNN earlier this week that you think President Trump directing Cohen to make those illegal payments could probably, probably in your words, be an impeachable offense. Does that mean that you think the House should move forward with uh, articles of impeachment against the president for these? I think, I think that we must. Our major thing right now is to let Mr. Mueller, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for, do his job. Let him complete his job. Then, let, then we take a look at what he says and then go from there. But I think it's actually premature to, uh, right now to do that. But the evidence is certainly piling up. Uh, and I think the president knows that. On top of all these on ongoing investigations, uh, the Wall Street Journal broke a story this last week that President Trump's inaugural committee is also under criminal investigation in New York for potential illegal donations from foreign nationals and potential uh, promises of political favors to donors. Will you investigate that when you take over the committee? More than likely, we'll take a look at it. Um, and of course, we've got uh, his campaign uh, chairman uh, and his uh, advisor and then Mr. Flynn and uh, so many people around him have been already indicted or pleaded guilty. Um, so there's a lot to look at. But, Jake, let's not be confused. The American people, uh, they, they, they want government to help them, not hurt them. They want us to do our jobs. And so I'm not looking for headlines. I'm trying to get things done for them. For example, I think the, the president needs us as much as uh, we need him. Uh, he, we've got a little bit of time to act. You just talked to Susan Collins about the presidential elections coming up. They're right around the corner. Right. And so the president has promised us infrastructure, and he's got to work with the Democrats to make that happen. And so I'm looking forward to it. He said he wants to do something about prescription drugs. Come on, Mr. President, let's do it. Let's get it done. You said you wanted to do it. I'll hold you to that. The government is headed toward a shutdown this Friday because the president says he wants to see $5 billion in funding for his border wall uh, in the government spending bill. Democrats say that you're not going to approve uh, that much money. Why not negotiate on it uh, and so that this can happen um, and try to get a priority like DACA or the Dreamers uh, well, attached to it? Well, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer have been trying to do that, and I'm sure that's going to work out. But whenever I hear a president say to the American people at Christmas time, I am going to shut down your government, it pains me. 
because I know that that's going to make a bad Christmas for a lot of people. And I would say to, to the president, there are a lot of people who have worked hard and all they want to do is live their lives. They don't want government to hurt them. They want government to help them. All right, Congressman and soon to be chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Elijah Cummings, Democrat of Maryland. Thanks so much for being here uh, and Merry Christmas to you. Hope to see you in the new year. All righty. President Trump had some lovely praise for his new acting chief of staff, Mitch Mulvaney, saying Mulvaney's done an outstanding job at the office's Office of Management and Budget. But Mulvaney hasn't always shared the love. What did he say about Trump in 2016? That's next. Big ruling, it's a great ruling for our country. We'll be able to get great health care. We'll sit down with the Democrats if the Supreme Court upholds. We'll be uh, sitting down with the Democrats and we will get great health care for our people. That was President Trump touting a Texas federal judge ruling that Obamacare is unconstitutional. The president pledging to work with Democrats if the decision is upheld. Let's discuss. Jen Psaki, <laughs> former communications director for the Obama White House, obviously you feel strongly about this. What do you think? Look, I think that was certainly some premature celebrating by Donald Trump. Uh, what we've seen is that Republicans are completely incapable of uh, ending health care for Americans. Thank God. Uh, Democrats now have 40 mem new members in the House because of their efforts to end health care. So there's a couple layers of this. There's obviously the court process here. It's going to go to the circuit court next. There was an interesting op-ed today from both an opponent and an advocate for the Affordable Care Act on both sides of the legal case who said the legal the legal case made by this judge is ludicrous. Oh, John Adler. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, is ludicrous. So there's the legal process. But then there's also the political process. And while Don Donald Trump was just celebrating, a lot of Republicans who are moderates, who are in suburbs, uh, who will be up for election in the Senate are probably freaking out right now because this is going to be a, an issue that Democrats bring to the House floor when they're in charge in January and February and they get Democrats, uh, they get Republicans on the record. Are you opposed to, uh, to pre-existing, covering pre-existing conditions? Are you opposed to Americans having access to health care? So this is not a win for Trump. Uh, and this is not a win for Republicans. This is a huge, uh, in a weird way, an opportunity for Democrats. Would it not have been St stated like an Obama spokesperson? Well, well she is. <laughs> Good That's job. Great job. But, but do you do you Good think do you agree with uh, Susan Collins' point of view on this, which is it probably would have been better for Republicans and for the country, in her view, if the judge had just said that the individual mandate, the, the penalty right, was sure. unconstitutional, but kept the rest of the law. Yeah. So and you look at it. So the court has said the court is this is that there's no injunction. There's no injunction. Really, it's not stayed. Obamacare stays in place to the pendency of this. So no one's having their health care snatched away. David Urban defending Obamacare. No, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. There's lots of there's, <laughs> look at, there's a lot. There's lots of things that I know that Jen and others would disagree, would, would agree that need to be repaired. Right. Nobody wants to take away the, the pre-existing conditions or that your kids can't stay on your health care. Look, there were some good things, but there's lots of bad things. We can do better as a country. We should do better. Simone, take a look at this. Uh, the former attorney general, Eric Holder, who is often talked about as a potential 2020 presidential candidate, tweeted, quote, after an election in which the fate of Obamacare protections were decisive, a single hard right judge destroys the system and defeated Republicans uh, uh, support this. It is time to move on to some version of Medicare for all and end this nonsense. Oh, do, you you think, do you think that, that this decision will push Democrats, more and more Democrats, and Obama's there already also, 
uh, towards Medicare for All. To be clear, Medicare for All builds on the enormous success that is the Affordable Care Act. We, we, but we can't move towards Medicare for All when there are currently assaults on, on the health care system every single day. Look, the Trump administration has moved to undermine the system at every single turn, so much so that there are career attorneys at the Department of Justice that resigned and took their names off the brief earlier on earlier this year um, when the government said that they don't want to defend pre-existing conditions so anymore. Forward. So the, the only reason Obamacare is around is because the court upheld it as a tax. You take the tax right. away, it's no longer constitutional. So to be, to be so, clear, you, yes, this is a legal argument. And the problem with Obamacare is that it's not working. Healthcare has gotten more, more and more expensive. expensive right? And so either we're going to go in the direction of dismantling Obamacare or Medicare for all. Let right? me just let, so that's what single payer. To be clear, hold on. The Republicans just lost, just lost, just, I might be just the only lost person in the midterm table elections. Who has bought Obamacare Republicans for my family, have lost. First of all, I'm affordable. on Obamacare. Well, I am on Obamacare. So, so to be clear, yes, let's just do one at a time. To be clear, yes, premiums are too high. Um, there are folks that cannot afford some of these plans, so we have to fix it. There, oh, no so it's right over. Did Simone just say Obamacare is not great? No one's arguing there aren't things that need to be fixed. But what this partisan judge and yes, partisan judge did was an assault on health care for this is a question. I was in the White House when we did Obamacare. It is not perfect. We need to build on it and fix things that are broken. However, millions of people were not covered before Obamacare. Pre-existing conditions were not covered before Obamacare. Do not let the perfect be the enemy of the good here. This is this is an important bill we need to keep building on. That's so, where we so are. So where do you come out on the first step back, by the way? <laughs> I'm just... Okay, I want to change topics because we have so much to talk about. Uh, the president finally settled on a new chief of staff, possibly. Got OMB Director Mick Mulvaney is going to serve in the acting capacity. But take a listen to this video of Mulvaney running for Congress in 2016 that resurfaced shortly after the announcement. Yes, I'm supporting Donald Trump. I'm doing so as enthusiastically as I can, even the fact that I think he's a terrible human being. Uh, but the choice on the other side is just as bad. Now, we should point out a spokesman from Mulvaney told The New York Times that uh, at the time, uh, Mulvaney had not met with President Trump, then candidate Trump, and that while working in the administration, his support of the president has never wavered. But it is interesting that the chief of staff is on record uh, saying uh, that the president is a terrible human being. I'm going to choose to see the silver lining in this and that President Trump has found room in the White House for people who have been critical of him in the past. Uh, this is a hard job to fill because a lot of qualified people would not do it. I'm glad Mick Mulvaney is going to go do it. He's qualified. He'll be a good voice. He's a strong connection to conservatives. And given this atmosphere, President Trump is lucky to have him there. Is it possible that President Trump didn't know about that quote and then we'll see it and they'll get upset about uh, l- l- it? Listen, I'm sure the president knows that the people say bad things about him. He's got pretty thick skin and whatever one thinks Whoa. he does. Oh, 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 listen, oh, listen oh, I know. Listen, no, no, listen. No, I know. He yes, he does. No, no, he does. Le- no, he does. Urban. Listen. President Trump has really thick skin. He, he, he does. The, he does. And listen, skin I've ever no, seen. he's a tough guy. He can take it. And uh, Mick Mulvaney's a true, true patriot. Really, uh, has a, he'll push back on the president. I promise he's going to be good chief of staff, and he's not going to be acting for, for very long. I'm sure he'll be in that role for quite some time. It is uh, hard to imagine President Obama even picking somebody for chief of staff that called him a terrible human being. Well, people actually wanted to be President Obama's chief of staff. So we so had that, more of a select. That is certainly different than the current circumstance. Um, look, I think this is a smart move for Mick Mulvaney-ish if he stays for a couple of months and gets out and He's ambitious for a reason, wanted this job for a reason. Um, I think what's more interesting is who becomes the permanent chief of staff. Um, and we'll see how the debate uh, goes around but that. Mick's been great. You've seen him behind the podium in the, in the West Wing and the, the White House there. 
He's great on TV. He's, he's, he's got a great But I think, David, it's, it's, it's not about Mick Mulvaney. It's about we've seen the same exact process here where Donald Trump loves the chief of staff. He talks about them on Twitter, which is, you know, his best uh, compliment. Um, and then he starts to trash them. He lifts yeah, no, them up listen. and then he trashes them. So no, listen, I think, I think Mick understands what, what Kelly had said. He's the chief of staff, not chief of the president, right? That's that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. I think there's also something to be said about Mick Mulvaney doesn't necessarily have two deep hill ties to the folks on the Democratic side of the aisle that will be conducting a lot of these oversight hearings. Um, while he does have good relationships with conservatives, conservatives are not the only folks uh, in Washington, D.C. So I think uh, he knows I, how I don't, I don't works, know how so that would be about it. But, but, but Amanda, Amanda points out he knows Capitol Hill. He yeah. does know Capitol he Hill. Knows but. He's political. Law, he's political. He's, he knows the government. Run is a very smart guy. All right, everyone, stick around. We got a lot more to talk about. Attention to the dozens of Democrats trying to decide whether to run in 2020. The first Iowa polling is out of likely Democratic caucus goers. Who's ahead? What might it mean, if anything? That's next. Congressman, I hate to see you go, but hey, you're going to run for president, right? <laughs> Congressman Beto O'Rourke giving a not-so-convincing denial Friday at a town hall in Texas. This is we're getting our very first Des Moines Register CNN poll out of Iowa. And take a look. O'Rourke is right up there in third place among likely Democratic caucus goers, right behind former Vice President Joe Biden and Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, you have spent a lot of time in Iowa, Jen Psaki. We should point out that this early in the process, these polls are, generally speaking, just name recognition. Mm -hmm. But look at this. It's Biden, Sanders, O'Rourke, and then in single digits, Senators Elizabeth Warren, Sen Kamala Harris, and Cory Booker. What do you think? Well, as you said, it's mostly about name recognition, and Iowa's a caucus state, so it's really about organizing, and people expect that every candidate is going to be in their living room with their sleeves rolled up, eating their jello rolls. So that's going to happen over the next year. <laughs> uh, but what was also interesting in this poll, if you delve deeper into it, um, are where numbers dropped. Um, you don't want to be a candidate where numbers dropped. Elizabeth um, Warren and Kamala Elizabeth Harris Warren numbers. Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris. And specifically Elizabeth Warren, she has over 80% name recognition in Iowa, and her numbers dropped by a couple of points. That's not a good place to be a starting point. Joe Biden, while this is certainly about name recognition, uh, what's interesting, too, is his fave unfavorable. So his favorable ratings are over 80%, which is a pretty Huge. good place That's, to be. Geez, yeah. It is hard to move when you are known by 99.9%, but that is a good place to start. So... As you said, there's a lot to happen here. If you go up like Beto O'Rourke, that's a good sign. If you go down, not a good sign. But we have a, a long runway here to go. Just a reality check again, yeah. I just because we, we're, we're discussing these numbers. But just to look back at this point in the Des Moines Register poll uh, from this same time in 2015 uh, for the Republican nomination, <clears throat> Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker uh, was 15 percent. He dropped out even before the Iowa. Uh, Rand Paul, 14 percent. Mitt Romney, 13 percent. Mike Huckabee, 10 percent. Donald Trump all the way down uh, at 1 percent. So uh, it doesn't necessarily right. mean anything. But let me go to the other Democrat on the panel and then I'll have the Republicans weigh in. Uh, what do you think? You're, first of all, you're still a Bernie Sanders fan, supporter, right? <laughs> Booster? No. Jake, are, what are you I'm saying? I'm trying to get you to commit. You're trying to get me to commit. Look, yes, I work for Senator Sanders. And I think if he or anyone else would like to throw their name in the hat for oh, president okay. um, in 2020, they absolutely mind. should. Keep an open mind. They absolutely should, Jake. Look, I, don't, I think we learned in 2016 that nobody wants a coronation. And coronation isn't necessarily good for the party. I will say what's also 
interesting in this poll is that the overwhelming number of folks uh, surveyed want an uh, want a robust primary. Mm-hmm. They want a lot of folks in the race. They they don't want it winnowed down to just a couple individuals. And so I think the folks in Iowa, but also people across the country, are looking for um, lots of people to get in the race. They want to hear ideas from everybody. They want to make a good decision. You know who else wants a lot of candidates in the race? Yeah, David, David Urban. Urban. Well, you know, <laughs> we like I'd like to see all twenty. You know, interestingly, that poll was very bad. The people they don't want to hear from was pretty clear in there. They clearly did. 75% of people said they don't want to hear from Hillary Clinton. Right, that's uh, true. A, a, an overwhelming number, pretty big rebuke. And then the other people I, I noted were Howard Schultz. Nobody wants Howard Schultz to run, according to that poll. Right. And Tom Steyer was way at the bottom of people wanting him to run. It was interesting. It was, it was interesting. It, it was, there was a question if this person enters, would the person do more to detract right. or to contribute? And most people thought that Hillary Clinton would detract. Michelle Obama was, was, high, a, huh? was contribute. People liked Michelle Obama. What do you think when you saw the poll? I think, like you, bad news for Elizabeth Warren. Not only because she dropped, but I don't think anyone wants it as openly badly as she does. She well, has I been do. campaigning do well, for this wait, wait, for a long time. No, through the par- through the primary, she was fundraising for candidates, seeding candidates. She's giving. She did the DNA test, which backfired. She did a cleanup speech this week. She's not getting any traction. And so I think this is just a Hold disaster. Hold on a second. Can I just, I'm no, I'm, you know, look, I'm no Elizabeth Warren booster, if you will, but I think to suggest that this poll spells trouble for Elizabeth Warren well, is not true. She went down. She went down she, in the poll. Yeah, she went down on her name. And Beto went up at on her, her name recognition. Beto went up because everywhere you turn, everybody is talking yeah, about Beto. But never has a candidate won by losing so much. I think she still has room to grow. I she's think if you're known, at the top of this poll, sure, it's dangerous. She's known by, by a huge percentage mm-hmm. of people. That's what's troubling. That there is good news for a lot of other candidates, including many women candidates on the Democratic side. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, I will say, percentage. to state the obvious, it's odd that three white guys are let's, leading the top. That, yeah. yes, yes. Three white guys are at the top of the, uh, of the, of the polling results. Uh, Van Jones asked Senator mm-hmm. Kirsten Gillibrand, also a potential 2020 candidate, uh, Democratic senator from New York, what she thought about the fact that the three were Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Beto O'Rourke, all white men. Take a listen. Does it worry you to see the top three being white guys? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Why? Um, I, I, I just, I aspire for our country to recognize the beauty of our diversity in some point in the future. And I hope someday we have a woman president. This is what I love about Senator Gillibrand. One, she's so refreshingly candid. You you can ask other folks that question, and they might try to pontificate and give you good talking points. And she just flat out told you, yeah, I think it's a problem. And hopefully, I hope one day, sometime soon, folks recognize the, the importance of diversity. And I, I like her. I hope she, among other people, throw their name in the hat. The fact of the matter is, though, um, this poll is just so early. And I think that it is incumbent upon the folks that maybe didn't poll well or didn't even register at the 5% um, to get out there, to get on the ground, to get in folks' living rooms, to hit the state fair and make your case. That's what Iowa voters want to see. That's what wins elections. And, and, and not, nothing to do with this poll, but just kind of a snapshot of, of things to come, right? This is what these polls are going to drive debates. Mm-hmm. You poll high, yeah. you get a front stage debate mm-hmm. place. You don't? You're well, the, that's not necessarily the, the DNC yeah. hasn't even announced yeah. what their rules I, I are going to be. But, but it's going to be 
No, that's not what the rules are going to be. As a DNC member, as a DNC member, um, there's a very special process that's going to go on around this primary to ensure transparency. So we don't know what the criteria will be. But can we imagine these numbers changing a lot with these debates starting? You picture Kamala Harris versus Bernie Sanders. I can tell you who's going to win that debate. Um, So I think this will shift dramatically. Oh, I think Kamala Harris. Harris Just because Bernie's he's disorganized. Joe Biden goes all over the place. I think the female senators are very strong. I think Amy Klobuchar is very underrated. And once they get on a stage and start proposing their policies in front of these men, they're going to move up. Yeah, I think Barack Obama at this point in the 2007 was in third place. Right. And, and, and he ended up winning Iowa. And the very good, the good news for people like Senator Gillibrand is, I think, if I remember correctly, um, over 60 percent of people didn't have a view on whether they supported or opposed her. That is a lot to work with. And that's true of a number of the other female candidates mm-hmm. in the race. I will say, David, to your point on the DNC, I think I would be very surprised if they relied solely on the polls. I don't think they're going to do that. They're thinking in a very smart way about this. They're going to look at candidates who have the ability to grassroots organize across the country and find a way to reflect that. So they oh, have well, a high, we'll a a high cost problem with be so many candidates running. Unfair of, listen, we saw it last yeah. time Senator Sanders got There's locked no out way. because it's, it was unfair, right? It's, it's, it's we'll not easy. It will be difficult, but I think they're thinking about this much more broadly than. Well, the as somebody question. who moderated a debate with eleven candidates on stage, I hope they figure it out better than that because that <laughs> was very difficult to do a debate with eleven candidates on stage. Wouldn't uh, Donald Trump be most threatened by somebody who wasn't a white man? Doesn't that pose electorally uh, a, a bigger challenge for him? Listen, I think what it pose electoral challenges. Who's going to win those swing states, right? You know, we all know the Democrats are going to crush in California, Massachusetts, uh, New York. Who's going to win Ohio, Michigan? Who's going to do the best in those states? Pennsylvania, Kentucky, well, North Carolina. That, that's what you look at. This is electoral college. Pennsylvania all right. and Michigan. This is electoral and college. Thanks one and all for being here. Yeah. Electoral college. Great to have you. If President Obama and Joe Biden's friendship reminded you of like a buddy flick, what kind of movie might President Trump and his associates star in? That's the subject of this week's State of the Cartoonia next. Welcome back. The head of a powerful New York family, a loyal consigliere turned informant, wealthy lieutenants facing time in the slammer. It's the stuff they make movies about. And that's the subject of this week's State of the Cartoonian. Folks have been making some really unfair Trump godfather references for quite some time. I know you're a sophisticated guy. The world is a mess. The world is as angry as it gets. Even White House insiders such as Steve Bannon have been known to unfairly and cruelly compare Donald Trump Jr. to Fredo Corleone. I was kept pretty much in the dark. I didn't know all that much. But the mob film that came to our mind this week was Goodfellas. Never write on your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Specifically, former Trump fixer Michael Cohen in the Ray Liotta role. It's going to be a good summer. (laughs) Seduced by the high-flying lifestyle, but eventually turning informant to the FBI. It's said that I should take responsibility for his dirty deeds. Now take me to jail. We see former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort as the Paul Sorvino character, perhaps behind bars, managing to wheel and deal his way to a nicer situation. Don't put too many onions in the sauce. Then our imaginations went wild and pictured these two former Trump insiders in a Shawshank Redemption-style partnership on the inside, strategizing their way to a prison break. I have to remind myself that some birds aren't meant to be caged. Only instead of a Rita Hayworth poster, maybe someone else would be more fitting. I don't feel like a prisoner. 
It's something I think a lot about while scrolling through Twitter. Why are Americans so angry? That's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.